the story of the Syrophoenician woman is troubling. It's troubling in that Jesus, in effect, calls a woman who is bothering him a dog. She's an outsider. She's not of the house of Israel. It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. And most commentators tell us that this turn of phrase would have been far less offensive to Semitic sensibilities of Jesus' time than to ours. And they'd also go on and say that the story is not so much about Jesus' reaction to being interrupted in the middle of uh, following his primary purpose, not so much about even about his reaction to this woman and her wit and her brilliance and her faith. It's about the community that God is bringing into being. We have to remember that this story follows immediately from what we heard last week. Jesus was criticized for not making his disciples wash their hands. It was about purity laws. It was about where are the boundaries and where are the norms of this new creation, this new humanity that God is bringing into being. The story is about the reality that communities necessarily develop boundaries and norms for the well-being and thriving of the members of the community. And also, it's about the reality that God tends to undermine those norms regularly so that the power to determine uh, what the rules are uh, and the, the power to control the community is never absolute. God will always interrupt pretensions to human power. And for us, that means fairly straightforwardly that we must be prepared to accept that our plans for how everything should go are not always going to work out. And that when they don't, we should look for the Spirit at work before we start getting angry and frustrated and redoubling our efforts to control and, and along the way being very rude about anyone we don't like. We look for the Spirit. We look for the fruits of the Spirit. We look for where there is human thriving, where the fruits of love and joy and peace are being made manifest. And one relatively small and possibly trivial example of how this works, Sage and I uh, were married here in 2006 on a Monday morning. We'd gone through this whole thing of how do you get the family together from England and Mississippi and friends in Washington and all of them and celebrate with the church. And we decided in the end that we would just have our children at the wedding. The bishop was here. And, and we would then give parties in England and celebrate with the church and have everyone from Mississippi and all of that. And we did. It went, went beautifully. But it became apparent as the wedding drew nearer that the wonderful staff we enjoy here were going to planning to watch the thing on the security monitor. <laughs> we, have, we, have, we, we leave the church open during the week. People come in and do their spiritual labor and say their prayers. But we do have a camera so we can watch what's going on. And there's a monitor near the reception desk. And I have a vision of everyone crowded around this thing. This is ridiculous. It's a church. Come on. You can come on into the wedding. Well, that was fine until Sage said, well, she was running the Arthritis Foundation at that point for Georgia. And she said, well, my staff kind of interested in what's going on too. So she invited them. And so to this day, neither of us quite know who was at that wedding. But they, they showed up in the pictures. This is the thing. They showed up in the pictures. And so Sage's mother said, I thought you said there was no one going to be there. Who are, these, <laughs> who are these people? And it wasn't going to really be convincing to her when I said, well, if you think about the story of the Syrophoenician woman, <laughs> you're going to discover that God uh, always ex has a way of opening up and expanding occasions of grace, especially when they happen at church. 
Now, I confess that this particular instance did not cause me to completely reevaluate the way I was seeing the world. I confess that. But real communion, the kind that flows from not only eating a symbolic meal together, but the kind that the symbol, that the meal is a symbol of, real relationship will lead to some kind of shift in how we perceive the world, the kind of thing that happens when we hear someone else's story and share our own. There's a shift that occurs. We'll do a lot of that. We do a lot of that here. We'll do it tonight as we gather for a potluck supper, and I hope you'll all come um, to kick off our, our canvas. We're going to hear a story from Jeff Pope, and maybe our perspective will get shifted a little bit. There's a woman who's an anthropologist called Maria Doria Russell. Some of you will remember that we read one of her, two of her novels in novel theology a few years ago. And the first novel was The Sparrow. And she set this novel in space because she wanted to find some way of talking about encountering the other in a way that didn't carry a lot of preconceptions. And she couldn't think of anywhere on earth that was sort of strange enough to allow this story to emerge. And so she set it in space, and some Jesuits went to space. And they start befriending the species or the, the, the people or the, the animal-like people that they, they meet, and they start learning their story, and they start get, get, getting to be friends with them back and forth. And as the novel goes on, we realize that something strange is happening. It's not quite, two and two's not making four, and it becomes clear that this, these friends are actually being bred and harvested by another species for food. It's kind of shocking. And it causes a reevaluation for those of us reading the book to sort of figure out how do we get there? What were our preconceptions? What do we miss uh, in the assumptions that we brought to the relationship? It's, it's, it's not a story about space. It's a story about communion and communities and how communities function and what challenges them and what causes them to change. It's a dance a very complex dance. If you think about all of the significant social change that has occurred in your lifetime, part of that is a shifting of norms and a shifting of boundaries as, as those norms and boundaries are challenged to where there can be more human thriving for more people, and more fruits of the Spirit represented as God continues to bring this new humanity into being. It's how we get included. It's how we get included because that Syrophoenician woman was a Gentile. And it's, it, it makes the possibility of our being able to perceive and accept God's grace quite extraordinary. Now, our, there's a movement underway, somewhat academic um, in some places and somewhat on the ground in others, about uh, arguing that people who are homeless are essentially victims of an unjust economic system, the kind that's reflected in our letter from James, in fact. Now, our city council, and, and so, so they can form community and so disrupt homelessness by becoming a community of challenge to the prevailing norms. In other words, it's different than saying that homeless people have to be fixed. Now, I'm not sure what I think about this, but our city council is engaged in just such a debate when they talk about, uh, debate the question of panhandling. And they're trying to walk the line between preventing the harassment of people seeking to go about their business by people begging for money on one hand and the civil rights of those doing the asking on the other. In many communities, there are all kinds of ways of maintaining social norms short of criminalizing whatever is deemed poor behavior. So 
But at the same time, just because norms get challenged doesn't mean they have to change. Doesn't mean that because you challenge a norm, you then get to call all the shots. It's a relationship. It's a dance. It's, it's trying to find a way forward that ultimately is together. It's a complicated dance that focuses on what constitutes human thriving. That's been true for all of the social change that we've known along the way. Or should we say that some kind of community forms among people who believe themselves victimized by an unjust economic system, they should not be asked or acquired or coerced into trying to thrive with the mainstream. So shouldn't be made to accept programs that are meant to be for their own good. It's complicated. I don't have the answers. But I'm grateful to Councilman Michael Julian Bond and others for engaging the questions because it benefits all of us. Communion. Communion is marked by this ever-expanding grace and by specific relationship being worked out in specific places and, and at specific times. I've been, along with many of you, reading about Neil Armstrong and his walk on the moon. And somewhere in all of the stuff I've read, I was reminded of Buzz Aldrin, who was also on that Apollo 11 crew that walked on the moon for the first time. He was a Presbyterian elder. And... He uh, was given by his pastor at a Presbyterian church in Texas a home communion kit, which he took with him. And I, he, didn't, he was the one who said that he asked everybody to imagine and give thanks in their own way for what had happened and the extraordinary events that led to this uh, seminal moment of, of people walking on the moon. But then he gave thanks in his own way, something both touching and true for me in this story, because he took communion there on the moon, marking the great accomplishment and the magnificence of the whole of creation with the specific gifts of bread and wine, the, the symbols of the whole story of what is really important, what really matters, what opens to us relationship with God and with each other. He did on the moon what we do here every week, enjoying kind of shorthand for both the limited specific realities of human community that we inhabit in the midst of an awareness of the expansiveness of the universe and the expansiveness of God's grace, always renewing and enlarging those communities through the gifts of sacrificial love. So it is with our story from Mark. The people of God expanded to include the Syrophoenician woman in the abundance of God's grace. The people of God expanded to include you, to include me, that we may thrive in the knowledge that we were made by love for love. In a time of silence for prayer, let's respond with gratitude for the reality that even we have been included in this abundance of grace. In silence and in prayer, let us respond to the gospel.